Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Saren Burnett. Elizabeth Dutton, is that you? Yes. Uh, do you want to know what's ridiculous? No, but I know you do, and I got an answer for you. You ready? Yeah. Okay. Elvis Presley. Okay. Ridiculous. Did you know that dude had some goth in him? Really? Yeah, he wanted to be like rockabilly goth. He was after that edgier look. He was all psychobilly? He was really a blonde. He dyed his hair black. No. So he would look tough. I didn't know that. I know. He was a natural blonde, total blonde, like real blonde, and he dyed eyebrows and hair black so he could be like, I'm tough Elvis. I come from the streets wow. or whatever. I don't know. He's all, I'm dark and mysterious. Yeah, it's like if he needed like a touch-up, he'd like see like a shoeshine guy and be like, hey, hey, man, can you touch up my sides? What? Yeah. Are there any pictures of him blonde? I'm sure, yeah. I can find one for you. Just ask Chad And now, why do they just picture Elvis Presley as a blonde? I, it's hard. Did he dye everything? Oh, did oh. the drapes match the carpet is the question? Yeah. I don't know if the hound dog rolled that way. <laughs> I think he was just completely bare from the neck down. He was more concerned about his blue suede shoes. He was, he had absolutely Bare from the neck, no like, like a Kendall, just yes, smoothed no over. No hair anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's ridiculous. Right? Blonde Elvis. Do you want to know what else is ridiculous? Yeah. I am not a crook. Wait, my boy Tricky Dick? This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. Remember the Hole in the Ground gang? I yes. talked about how L.A. is the bank robbery capital of the world. Completely. It's quite a distinction. It is. Well, Zarin. Yes. We're back at it. Oh, I love it. LA, I love robbing banks with I you. I know. L.A. bank robbery. I love robbing L.A. banks with you. I'm going to be honest here. I thought I already did this one. Okay. <laughs> like, not the heist in, in real life, but, uh-huh. like, I thought I already told you about it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I and then I remembered how it all went down. See, 
when I was writing my outline, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if if I've spelled this out here before for everyone, but I'm going to break the fourth wall for a second. Right. There's a fourth wall. When we do these shows, the person telling the story comes up with an outline of the story and points that they want to make. And the other person has no idea what story they're going to hear. So Mm -hmm. there's no script that we back and forth. Anyway, I was writing my outline for the whole. So now that's how that magic trick works. (laughs) A little behind the scenes. Watch the You going to tell them what producer Dave is wearing Mm -hmm. next? I mean, because every time he wears a special outfit and that's (laughs) because it's in the mood. Well, anyway, I was writing my outline for the Hole in the Ground gang. Uh And I had some intro stories that I included. Amuse-bouche, as you often say. So I started telling the one I'm going to tell you today. But then I realized. It was too big just to be an intro, oh. and I needed it to be its own thing. Oh. I needed it to live its truth. Of course. Yeah. Let it have its journey. But I'd written a chunk of it before scrapping it. Ah. And because I'm me, I didn't save what I wrote. <laughs> just delete, delete, delete. That's what you get with your inbox zero so life. So it gave me deja vu when I started writing this one, mm-hmm. and I was worried that I was like going to write it and repeat when I'd already done, which, to be fair, will likely happen at yeah. some point. Because you know me. Well, oh well. Um, that said, this is the United California Bank robbery. United California. United, what is that? United California Bank. Oh, of course. It's a Los Angeles-based yes. um, banking institution, 117 bank branches throughout California. Yes. UCB started in 1868 oh. as the San Francisco Bank. Huh. And then it expanded all through Southern California you know, they had a bunch of mergers, acquisitions, sure. until it was sold to Sanwa in 1972. Remember oh, Sanwa yeah, Bank? Sanwa, yeah. 1972. Uh-huh. An important year for United California. It was sold to Sanwa, but that's also the year it got hit hard. Really? Yes. This particular branch I'm going to tell you about was the United California Bank in Laguna Niguel. Okay. An affluent community. Yes, very nice. It's a, this is like a, it was a small branch bank in like a shopping center, less than 100 feet from California Highway 1, hmm. Pacific Coast Highway. Yeah. PCH. P- PCH. Not to be confused with CPK, California Pizza Kitchen. And even though like I was only in Southern California for a while, I still call it the PCH instead of PCH. And I, I hear people only say PCH. Oh, yeah, you they do, get rid of the... You do the whole, uh, the article in front yes. of the highway. So I say Highway 5, you mm-hmm. say the 5. The 5. I say I'm going to get on 580, you say I'm going to get on the, the 580. I'm going to take the 580 that way. Yeah, and I just say 580. Anyway, that's a that's a Northern California, Southern California mm-hmm. distinction. People used to say, though, that they don't say anymore, is I-5. You don't usually hear that as much oh, anymore. Oh, yeah, I do remember everyone calling mm-hmm. it I-5. Yeah. When I lived in the South, they would call it number whatever. Yeah. Number nine. Yeah, that's very much the old uh, highway system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now that we've gotten that out. Of course, yes. So PCH, okay. the one to you. <laughs> PCH to me. Um, but not CPK, California Pizza Kitchen. No. There's an embankment between where this bank is and PCH, so you really like can't see the highway mm-hmm, from the mm-hmm. bank. Um, and you can't see the ocean from there either, it, it, even though it's right there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a nice neighborhood when um, it's right on the Pacific Ocean and you can't look at the streets on Google Street View. What do you mean? It totally killed my vibe. Like, like they wouldn't let the Google truck drive around? You can't drag the little man yeah. to the map. They uh-huh. don't let the Google truck. Sometimes that happens in like gated communities, yeah. but yeah. sometimes not. The main yeah. roads of it. Um, but you, I can't see it. I can't wow. see what it looks You're like. You're flying blind. I can tell you that it's really beautiful down there. Yes. Super Tony. I went down the coast a little and then tried to look up <laughs> on Google Street View. 
<laughs> but it's a bit of a cove. <laughs> I applaud your effort. Thank you. Uh, you so got chutzpah done. I do. The heist crew, and I'll get to them in a moment, okay. they made a bunch of scouting trips to this mm. place. They checked out the surrounding area. They got the layout mm-hmm. of the bank down. Um, and then they had a total lock on the security situation. And they weren't local. They were operating out of Ohio. Wow. It's a long way from Ohio to Laguna Niguel. And it's not a spot you would pick. You never hear about Laguna Niguel outside of California. 2,400 miles from their base. Um, It was back in a warehouse in Ohio that they built a replica of the bank for the crew to study. I love this. I know. Um, They were practiced breaking into safety deposit boxes there. Mm -hmm. Um, This couldn't have been a cheap undertaking. No, this sounds financed. What it tells you, though, is that the expected haul is going to be huge. Yes, they know something. Yeah, so this heist crew, let's meet them. Please. Come along. We'll start with the ringleader, Emil Dincio. Okay. And he was born in Goshen, Ohio in 1936. Hmm. If it's Goshen, I don't care. Uh, So he started doing the crime Uh in high school. He and his brother, they broke into hundreds of banks at night uh, in high school. Nice. According to Emil, quote, banks were like gifts. Somebody gives you a gift, you take it. We weren't out there to hurt nobody. We were just out there to take the money. We're looking for fun. It's we're young. We're dumb. We're, we gift. like gifts. So Emil, he was linked to a minimum dozen bank burglaries that took place all throughout the 60s and 70s with a total take estimated at over $30 million. Damn. Yeah. Good on you, son. So this makes him one of the USA's most successful bank robbers. Oh, he's prolific. This is what he said, quote, thrill of the money and just doing it, knowing it's sitting there. It was so easy. You wouldn't believe how easy it was. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you morons. Um, so he handled the alarms while his brother James took care of explosives. Emil said, quote, there was nobody else doing what we was doing, and we knew what we were doing. Me and my brother, I know of nobody any better. Okay. Top of the game. Yeah. Top of the heap, baby. And humble as heck. Oh, completely. (laughs) So they brought in other experienced criminals to back them up. There was um, Charlie Brockle, and he was sometimes known as the Silver Fox. Oh, get out, really? uh, No, and serious. And then his other nickname was The Creep. No, for real? Yeah, totally. So he was from Collinwood, Ohio. None of them are the broccoli guy? Like, nothing but no, broccoli? No. Uh, Bobby and, Broccoli? That's what I call no, him. Yeah, but it's Brockel. I know, but um, it's close enough. Brockel. So he was a burglar, and he was also a hitman. Oh. Sounds fun. Yeah. Um, then there was the Dincio's nephew, Harry Barber. See, I'm telling you. It Harry made, That one takes Barber. care of itself. Yeah. He was an accomplished thief, and he was a great getaway driver. <laughs> so he was born in Alliance, Ohio. Named Harry Barber. You got to be good at something. Something. Alliance, Ohio, mm-hmm. birthed him out. Um, but then he moved to Southern California with his family in 1956 because his mom, Viola, she had really terrible arthritis and she needed warmer, drier oh, weather. Oh, yeah, totally. Go out move to the desert. Yeah, so it was in Southern California that he learned to drive like a madman. It's a great place to do it. Totally. Especially at that time. In the late 50s, early 60s, he got 41 speeding tickets. Wow. And so he also got his license. I was about to say, usually you can't get that high anymore. No, you can't. His parents were totally tired of his antics. Mm -hmm. So they sent him to live with his grandma in Ohio, Poland, Oh, they sent him back to Ohio. Yeah, they're like, you got to go back there. He goes back to Ohio, gets a new driver's license, gets a job working for Uncle Emil. Mm. Yeah. So next we have Emil's brother-in-law, Charles Mulligan, another crook. And lastly, Phil Christopher. He was an alarm thief, and he was known as, like, a super thief in Cleveland. Okay. He was the super thief of Cleveland. So we got Emil, 
James. Uh, Super Thief of Cleveland. <laughs> uh, Brockel, uh, Barber, Mulligan, and Christopher. That's Put the that on the group. back of a satin jacket. <laughs> oh Super God. Thief of Cleveland. Totally. Um, this is the heist crew. Yes. They have one target. Mm-hmm. Not just the United California Bank, UCB, and not Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm-hmm. No, they were also after $30 million in that Bank. They knew that $30 million would be there. That Richard Nixon reportedly got as a campaign bribe from notorious mobster posing as a union man, Jimmy Hoffa. Wow. So they're after Hoffa's money that he gave to Nixon uh-huh. on the sly and they know it's there? Yep. Nixon. At, in Ohio. How, uh-huh. how deep are they involved in the union movement? You'll get you. We're, we're going to come. We're oh. going to get so much in our brains today. I have so many questions. Yeah. March 8th, 1972. Ronald Barber, Emil's nephew, he rented a townhouse near the bank, and he paid $1,000 cash to lease it for three months. Okay. And that was going to be their operations base. Sure. So like a week later, there are two teenagers. They're on a hike in the area, and they found an electric motor that had been converted into a drill. And then they also found a commercial sledgehammer, a custom-made lead sledgehammer, uh-huh. three concrete drill bits, and a can of roofing tar. This is all just left out? Just hanging out. So they take the all the stuff over to the Laguna Beach Police Department, and they turned it over to the Sheriff's Department as, like, found property. Like, someone dropped all their drill bits. These guys really got the Scooby-Doo treatment. I, I would have gotten away with it for these meddling kids. <laughs> well, the tools, they were not tied to the bank robbery until, like, weeks after yeah, it happened. Yeah, but still, it sets them Come up. On, I mean, yeah. like... So the crew, they practiced getaway driving in an Oldsmobile 88. Wow. Because, like, Barber, he's the getaway driver. He was a huge Steve McQueen fan. Yes, And he modified the trunk of the car to, like, hide the tools properly. Uh So March 10th, 1972. So he wants a car like the getaway? Is that the idea? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mulligan, he shows up at the home of a childhood friend of his from Youngstown, Ohio, named Earl Dawson. Mm -hmm. Sometimes went by the name Early. Okay, Early Dawson. Uh, So Dawson, not a criminal. I mean, he had, like, a couple of DUIs. Sure. He was a retired Marine. He's a citizen. He's a citizen. So, um... Mulligan, he asks Dawson, the mm-hmm. Marine, can can I leave this car here? Yeah. A 1962 Oldsmobile 88. Yeah, why not? And Dawson said, quote, he said he wanted to leave the car at my place for a while. I thought he meant to leave it parked at the curb, but he wanted it in the garage out of sight. So Dawson, he doesn't see Mulligan again until the 26th of March. So this was on the 10th. Okay. So it's, like, it's like he's just hiding the car in the garage. For a fortnight. Right. On Friday, March 24th, the heist kicked off. So the team, they used a vacant building next to the bank as their entry point. After dark, they disabled the alarm system. They sprayed surfboard repair foam into the main alarm. <laughs> That's the good. expanding foam. Totally. That's a brilliant. And the creator of the foam, Gordon Grubby Clark, mm-hmm. he had a factory just a few miles away from okay, the bank. Okay, yeah, bet. Yeah, so they're buying local. That's yeah, what I'm trying to it's say. It's important. Support local businesses. Yeah. So that hardened foam kept the alarm clapper from ringing the bell. Oh, brilliant. And then Barber said, quote, they all got sprayed. We'd seen, the, we'd seen it, meaning the goop, mm-hmm. in the past, and we thought we'd try it. It worked very well. <laughs> so, you know, they're testing things Material out. Material science. I love it. Completely. Sheriff's Detective James Sidebotham. Yeah, so that's a name and a half. This is what he said about this whole alarm trick. Quote, when we got out of there a couple days later, the electric motor that runs the clapper was still humming. <laughs> like they couldn't turn the whole thing off. Anyway, um, there was also an interior alarm. Emil took care of that using a voltmeter to pick up the sonic alarm wires that um, he first cut and then resoldered. Hmm. So he like detected all the wires. He deactivates the alarms. 
And then the crew left the bank for an hour. Just to and, let it chill? Like, well, yeah, they wanted to wait and see like if anyone... Like you're baking a cake and you let it sit aside for <laughs> 40 to, minutes? It has to rest. Yeah, yeah. Um, they wanted to see if anyone was alerted okay. to this. Um, so they sat there listening to the police scanner like me on a Friday night. Yes, okay. Just yeah. listening. When Elizabeth they, time, as we call it. Exactly. Um, when they saw that the coast was clear and no one was a wiser, they went in. They scrambled up to the roof of the bank. The guys had taken 20 burlap feed sacks worth of dirt from the ground around South Shore's Baptist Church. Okay. Like sacred ground, I suppose. <laughs> um, they carried this up the ladder and down into the crawl space, and it was there that they laid out 16 sticks of dynamite. 16. In the dirt or in the bags? In the, the on top, like in the bags of dirt. Okay. So they're in the crawl space above the vault. Yeah. Bag, so, you know, they lay the, they lay it all. Are they do making, basically making shape charges? Yeah, I guess they're like trying to muffle. They so the mm-hmm. bag eleven of the bags are stacked to form a blast shield. Yeah, okay, yeah. And the other nine are put directly on top of the dynamite to like mm-hmm. muffle the sound, but also drive the impact the way down. Yeah, yeah. So they're basically trying to blow a hole in the roof. Yeah, and you know what? Kablamo. Nice. Kablamo. After the blast, Emil he melted the vault's rebar reinforcements with a blowtorch. Oh. Sixteen sticks of dynamite, not enough. Still yeah. got to get that out. Huh. So at first. The men only took the bank's loose cash, which was like a little over $52,000. Okay. So it's still a good haul. Yeah. Emil, Chuck Mulligan, Ronald Barber, they went back to Dawson's house, um, asking Dawson if they could be alone and have a meeting. <laughs> so Dawson agrees, and he and his wife go to a nearby bar, and they bring Mulligan with him, and then they come back home a couple Wait hours Wait a minute. Later. This guy leaves his own house. Oh, his own house. Takes his wife. Like, we need to go have dinner. Yeah, These guys and, need to talk. They and Mulligan's to- like, I'll go with you. I'm a little hungry. So he gets back to the house. The three guys leave, and they allegedly also left behind some of their burglary tools, Mm -hmm. which was evidence that would later convict them. So later on Sunday evening, the crew returned to the bank. They've blown in. Now they're like, that was on a Friday night. So like, let's go back and let's see what's going on there. Their (laughs) presence was recorded because one of the men smashed the time lock clocks that were inside of the vault door. Okay. And that's what helped them not be discovered for another almost 16 hours. Hmm. 458 safety deposit boxes were opened over the weekend using those custom sledgehammers that they'd honed in a warehouse back in Ohio. The lead sledgehammer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In those boxes, $12 million in bonds, cash, and jewelry. According to Barber, quote, I think it was closer to $14 million, but you know what? The FBI knows more than we did. Uh, evidently, they were there. So some of the crew, they took their share of the booty and they piled it into rented cars and Uh they drove back on to Ohio. Um, A couple of the others decided to fly back. There were no witnesses. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'll tell you how this went for the crew. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. 
For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Today I'm gonna to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Welcome. Hey. Hello. Thanks for joining me. So you're going to take me to Ohio now? No. Oh. Uh, we're going to stay in California for <laughs> okay. a bit. So the United California bank robbery mm-hmm. happened on a Friday night and then the Sunday right after. Continued through Sunday. Monday rolls around and, of course, the bank's going to find out. So staff showed up and they couldn't get the time lock to work. Remember, he smashed it. And also mm-hmm. remember those. It's the automatic lock on the bank vault. So this one wasn't a two-factor key like I think B of A had. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that wouldn't open until the bank opened in the morning. Okay. So they thought it was just a system malfunction, the people working at the bank. And so they called the locksmith to come and fix it. Locksmith's like, I can't do it. Yeah. It's it's a time lock. What can I do? So they said they sent the locksmith up into the crawl space to try and come from the top. (laughs) I found your problem. And like get it somehow like open the thing from the inside, which like that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I think he was more climbing up in there to see if there were like wires that he could like had shorted or rats chewing on it, whatever. He sees the blast hole. Yeah. Uh So once the bank manager was able to get inside the vault, you know, locksmith jumps down, opens it from the inside. They found a mess. Concrete dust everywhere because of the explosion. And then bonds, cash, collectible jewelry, urns with their ashes tipped and scattered all over. Why would people have their beloved family members in a safe deposit box? box. I don't know. Is that a thing? It doesn't even make sense. Anyway. So the bank employees call the feds. Wow. They call in the FBI. The locksmith's like, I didn't do this. He's like, <laughs> I had no part of this. A detective from the Orange County Sheriff's Department, Keith Roberts, Sergeant Keith Roberts, said, quote, the boxes were removed and stacked carefully. But then it looked like they found a bonanza, maybe a lot of cash in one of the boxes. And everybody went a little nuts. They apparently began ripping open the boxes and scattering the contents wildly like they were on a treasure hunt. <laughs> so I love he's able to piece it together. Um, FBI Special Agent James Conway was on the scene. Not James Conway. Yeah. Quote, it doesn't take a detective to figure out that this burglary is different. With two beaten alarm systems, explosives, and st- several steel rods, this is a heavyweight job. Oh. Yeah. There were 125 FBI agents assigned to the case. 
Damn, 125. They really want to get this Oh, yeah, one. definitely. At this point, it's like one of the biggest manhunts in FBI history. And it's possibly involving Nixon's $30 million of... Bingo! So the, the feds, they had a good clue in their pocket. One of the bank customers saved her deposit box memento currency. Her what? So she and her husband, they would go on vacation and they'd get cash. Mm-hmm. And she would put like each one in an envelope and mark where they got it. Oh. Like when they get change back from purchases. Okay. So that was and it her, wasn't even like her souvenir is like foreign travel. This is a drachma. It was like, no, not even that. It was like, I went to Cincinnati, which, oh my gosh, Ohio. Oh, no. not even. Yeah. Like, it was I went American to Buffalo. Currency? Yeah. And then, but she kept, she recorded all the serial numbers. Like, I guess wow. she had like a scrapbook at home. That's a bizarre uh-huh. habit. I mean, not whatever, but So they wow. have all this cash and the serial numbers for them. Now they just have to find it. Yeah, of course. So two months after the Laguna Niguel heist, on May what 4th. What luck for the FBI. Right? May 4th, uh-huh. 1972, the vault of a small branch bank in Lordstown, Ohio, gets broken mm-hmm. into. It had all the signatures and MO of the United California job. Uh, Emile's crew did it. They got got $430,000 in cash, which is a lot. It's good at that time, yeah. Why? Why so much cash in there? Why so much cash, Elizabeth? Thank you for asking. It was the cash for the paychecks of auto workers employed at the nearby General Motors plant. Oh, the Lordstown plant, yeah. Yeah, so now they done did it. Okay. You pissed off GM and Richard Nixon. Yeah. Um, So by May 25th, Emil, Mulligan, Christopher, Barber— they're the suspects for both jobs. Keep in mind, too, remember who else we talked about? Hoffa? Yeah. Teamsters? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm wondering about um, this when the unions and the mafia come involved. Right. So the feds, they figured the guys um, had to get from L.A. to Ohio. Yes. And they also had to get from Ohio to L.A. Um, they checked rental car records, airline manifests. Their fingerprints were found on tickets <sighs> dated March 15th, traveling from Cleveland to L.A. <sighs> These are the tickets that they had on their way to get to yeah, the heist. Yeah, flying to the heist. Yeah, and so the FBI wouldn't say how they got a tip to search thousands of United Airlines tickets in their files, mm-hmm. but this is where they say that the investigation really, like, kicked off. Okay. This was the beginning of it. Huh. So with the airline tickets as a lead, the FBI tracked down a cab driver who remembered picking up the group and driving them to 9803 San Carlos Avenue in Southgate. Okay, yeah, totally. And Southgate is where Barber had landed when he when he was sent out as a kid. Oh, interesting. So there's like this house is like a cute little two bed, one bath stucco house. Mm-hmm. It's only seven hundred and twenty eight square feet. Oh, yeah. Tiny. It's a tiny house. It was the home of Ken and Viola Barber. If I'm not mistaken, those homes were built for her to be workers' homes. Yeah, so. exactly. Um so Ken and Viola Barber. Viola is Emile's sister and Harry and Ronnie's mom. Okay. So the cabbie, super nice guy from Ghana, mm-hmm. he remembered them because they gave him a $100 tip. Unheard oh, of at the time. wow. They showed the cab driver a picture of Emil. Yep. And generosity dooms you. Yeah, exactly. So now Ronald and Viola were in on this too, and they were subpoenaed on May 31st. FBI agents found registration forms that the Dincio brothers had filled out um, and Chuck Mulligan's name was on there, too, when they stayed at the Jubilee Motor Inn back in February of Oof. 1972. And they got records of phone calls made from the motel to the Dawson house in Tustin. <laughs> so uh, Earl Dawson lives in Tustin. June 2nd, 1972, FBI agents James Conway. Not and, James Conway. <laughs> and Frank Callie. Yeah. They went to Dawson's house, but no one was home. 
a neighbor is like, oh, are you looking for Earl? <laughs> like, yeah, we're looking for him. He's like, where's Early Ben? He's down at the bar down the street. And they're like, okay. So then they go down there, and there's Earl sure playing enough, cool with a court. friend. Yeah. So they drag him home for questioning. It goes on for hours. Oh, they're really? in there with him. Well, remember, he's drunk, so he's gonna... Yeah, but remember how Dawson had been a Marine? Yeah. So had Callie. And he used that to establish a connection between the two oh, of them. He's smart. all simplified, brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, you ser- quote, you served your country well, Callie said to Dawson. Outside of a couple of drunk driving things, you've never been in trouble. But these people used you. Like, oh, that got to yeah, him. splitting them. He's Earl, like basically trying yeah, to split them off. Earl answers him, quote, I was always a little suspicious. Ooh, well, got him. Yeah. So then Dawson, while they're having this interrogation in his house, Dawson gets a phone call. The caller, Mulligan. <laughs> and he's like, listen, I'm going to be at your house in a couple hours. Um, I need to pick up that Oldsmobile and go get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dawson said, you know, said Mulligan told him. Mulligan's on there like, I'm re- kind of worried I'm being followed right now. And I'm going to try and lose the tail. But go to this bar called the Walnut Room and I'll meet up with you there. And so Special Agent Callie, with Dawson's permission, had been eavesdropping on the phone call. Of course, call. yeah. Um, can I tell you a little a bit about the Walnut Room in Tustin, California? No. Of course, yes, I want to know about the Walnut Room as soon as I heard it that. It is a serious dive bar in a strip mall. Yes. Uh, it's currently between a 99-cent store and a hot pot place. Oh, perfect. I know. You got, if you're hungry, I don't, you yeah. need have a headache, and you need some <laughs> Tylenol, I don't know. I don't know what was there in the 70s, though. Uh-huh. It currently has a 4.3 Yelp rating. I'm telling you. I mean, it's a high rating. They have, like, you know, buxom uh, bar maids. Oh, do they? And that's, like, one of their selling points. And they advertise as a dive bar. So, anyway, um, that's where they have an Instagram. So, the Walnut Room. Uh, Dawson, he gets off the phone with Mulligan. Callie and Conway, they call their superior, uh, Special Agent James Cagnasola. He gets a search warrant for the Olds 88. Judge... Signs it off. It's eight at night. As fast as he can. Oh, yeah. Signs it off. The agents, they pop the trunk of the car and they find the burglary tools. Ooh. They also found three gold coins that belonged to a Laguna Beach man who said they were lost from his safety deposit box when it had been robbed. That connects. Meanwhile. Yes. Dawson heads over to the Walnut Room, waits for Mulligan. Mulligan breezes in at 11 at night. The cab driver who took Mulligan to the Walnut Room later tells the FBI that the ride he gave to Mulligan was like a doozy. He drove Mulligan from LAX to Hollywood to Tustin. Wow. And he had to take a bunch of side trips. Mulligan's like, okay, go over here. No, 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 go around this way. Go back to that 7-Eleven. Trying to lose tails. You see that church down the road? Go there. Pull in that parking lot. Yeah, exactly. So Mulligan had the cab driver sit with him and Dawson for 20 minutes while he waited for a tail to show up. <laughs> I wonder what they talked about. I don't know. But what he didn't know is that the agents were already sitting at the bar. Exactly. Just waiting. Yeah. Like, could you get here already? So Mulligan, he eventually lets the cab driver go, starts talking to Dawson. And Dawson's like, Chuck, do you have something to do with that $2 million bank robbery in Laguna Niguel? And Mulligan says, now, Earl, you know me better than that. Besides, it was more like $5 million. <laughs> <laughs> This guy. Uh, so they, like, yeah. sit there and they're chatting, like, another hour and a half. These guys are such the side characters of a TV show. Completely. You know, like a 70s TV show. Yes, yes. So Mulligan agrees to stay the night at Dawson's house. Okay. And they leave the bar. Uh-huh. But in the parking lot, 
the FBI. Of course. Yeah. Um, Everywhere at the FBI at this point. Sheriff Sergeant Roberts said, quote, Mulligan was one of the coolest men I have ever seen in that situation. Usually a guy will try and give you some smart comeback, but he just didn't say a word. Huh. So he keeps all the quips for his friends. He's <laughs> um, <laughs> not giving away for free. Mulligan, they booked him in L.A. rather than Orange County because they didn't want the rest of the gang to catch wind oh, okay. of the arrest. But that didn't work because a reporter was monitoring the police scanner sure. and got the information right from a dispatcher. That yeah, they hear the up. name. Yeah. So uh, Ronald Barber disappeared from his Southgate apartment and stayed gone for eight years. <laughs> Smart man. Yeah. He wound up living under an alias in rural Pennsylvania. And that alias, Tiki Barber. <laughs> so he's, he said, quote, everybody knew that I didn't like the cold. So I figured the last place they'd look for me was where it would be cold. I used to send them postcards all the time from Florida and Hawaii wishing them Merry Christmas. Huh. Throw them off the scent. I like that. That's a smart move. Right. June 13th, 1972. So we're like a few months after the robbery, uh, or burglary, I should say. The agents checked Ronald's phone records and saw that he made calls to a Laguna Niguel number. Mm -hmm. um, that was the real estate agent that he rented the townhouse oh. from for three months. Okay. The real estate agent led the FBI agents to the townhome, and then that's where they found these guys hadn't cleaned up. And oh, yeah, were, everything. Fingerprints. There were dirty dishes. No, they tried to clean up most of it. Oh, really? But they didn't clean up the kitchen. And there were fingerprints that's, on the dirty dishes yeah, okay. of Dincio, the Barber Brothers, Mulligan, and Christopher. Okay. I bet also in the bathroom. Yeah, probably. June 21st. FBI agents, they arrested the alarm guy, Phil Christopher, mm -hmm. in the closet of his house. Um, they found... <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought they arrested oh, him no. in the closet yeah. of his house. He's like hiding there. <laughs> they arrested alarm guy, Phil Christopher, period. <laughs> in the closet of his house, okay. comma. Uh, they found a paper bag that had like a little over $32,000 in it. Mm -hmm. The majority of it still in the bank wrappers and the bands. <laughs> yeah. Damn, son. There were two loose fivers that were also in the bag, and those turned out to be some of the memento cure uh, oh, currency. from Homegirl. Yep, that all, she had all the vacation yeah. money serial numbers. Where's the serial, yeah. Zarin, yes. close your eyes. Oh, you snuck it up I on me. I always do. Yes, you, you do. <laughs> My eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. It's June 26, 1972. You are an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> You've been peppering your uncle with endless questions about his time in World War II. Oh, yeah. He was in the Pacific Theater. He tells you harrowing tales of his time in the Seabees, working day and night to shore up Henderson Field in the Solomon Islands. He tells you of the backbreaking work, the onslaught of artillery fire they took from the Japanese during the Guadalcanal campaign, the high stakes of it all. Freedom and liberty across the globe were at risk, he tells you. He also tells you about the gold bars he and his buddies found in a downed Japanese zero, and how they dug a hole and they buried them in the sandy soil along the airstrip, knowing that one day they would return to dig them up and live like kings. Mm. What he doesn't tell you is that all of this is a fiction. <laughs> he doesn't tell you that he has flat feet. You don't connect the fact that he has Coke bottle glasses and has always had them, even in photos of when he was a kid. He doesn't tell you that he pushed paper at the Combined Munitions Assignment Board in Washington, D.C. during the war. He filed papers and he typed up notes. He was part of important work, to be sure, but it wasn't death-defying or heroic. Boris injury, paper cut. Yes. But you don't know that. No. All you know is that your Uncle Bart is a war hero who tells amazing stories of adventure and daring do. Hmm. And now it's Monday, June 26, 1972. School is out, and you're standing in front of your house in Youngstown, Ohio. Cars whiz by as you stare across the street. 
Last night, you looked out your window and seen a man digging a hole in the empty lot across the street. Mm. You watched as he put something into the earth. Was it an old buddy of your uncle come to plant their riches for him? <laughs> you are determined to get to what you are now sure are gold bars, untold wealth destined for your brave uncle. You jog across the street, garden spade in hand. You see right away that there's a patch of disturbed earth that's been stomped down to avoid detection. Suddenly, you are at Henderson Field in the Solomon Islands. <laughs> it's humid. You hear planes and artillery fire in the distance. Explosions detonate, and you know the enemy is getting nearer. You drop to the ground and crawl on your belly toward the spot in the dirt. Incoming! You yell as you roll and tumble quickly to your right and keep scooting forward. The inner life, the interior movie playing in the mind of an eight-year-old boy, is a thing of wonder. <laughs> You reach the hole and you start digging. Machine gun fire rages in the distance as warplanes buzz you. Your shovel hits something hard. You scramble to pull it out of the ground. It's a thermos. You open the thermos and there it is. Bills. A giant wad of cash. Hmm. Suddenly, a shadow is cast above you. Someone stands over you. It's not an enemy combatant. It's not one of your fellow CBs. It's your mom. Oh. <laughs> she asked what you have, and you sheepishly hand it over. $98,000 belonging to Emil Dincio. The next day, Dincio was arrested. Good job, Saren. Hey, me and my ma. <laughs> so 10 hours after the arrest, his home was searched, and a gold-plated silver dollar coin was found, as well as a $20 bill in his mother-in-law's purse. And both of those items got tracked back to the United California job. All right. Soon enough... L.A. federal grand jury issued indictments charging Dincio, Mulligan, Christopher, and the Barber Brothers. Let's take a break. Tiki and Rhonda? Yes. Wow. Um, we've taken a look at the how. Um, when we come back, we'll investigate the why. Ooh. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from ATT Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. ATT Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATT.com slash hypergig for details. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hello. Elizabeth. Hello. Elizabeth. 
United, Elizabeth. Zarin. United <laughs> California bank robbery. Yes. Elizabeth. Uh, Emil Dincio. Mm-hmm. Just got busted. Yeah. Totally, totally busted. He's like, shake down, break down, you're busted. <laughs> uh, there's a trial. His neighbor kid, apparently his his daughter wound up like hating the neighbor kid. Really? Yeah, because he's like, I always hated that kid, the one who does Oh, he busted the, you, yeah, of course. basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm I detestable. Think, I think she went on to become a public defender, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? Yeah. One of those, like the Giuliani flip, or, like dad's a gangster, I'm a defender. Or there's a public defender with her same name. Oh, that's who knows? possible too. And who cares? So um, there's a trial, and I'll talk about that. But let's look at something Emil told the L.A. Times on November 26th, 1972. Ooh, let's. Quote, just wait till this thing is over. I'll give you a story, a real story. They're a bunch of frame artists. Oh. So according to Emil, quote, in May of 1972, high-level government officials ordered FBI agents to steal items, including flashlight batteries from my garage, to find my fingerprints to plant as evidence. And then they used the theft to convict me for the 1972 bank burglary in Laguna Niguel, California. They then covered up the agent's theft. The FBI director falsified dates on FBI laboratory reports, and the attorney general at the time ordered his assistant U.S. attorney, John F. Walter, to prepare and suborn false testimony for FBI and civilian government witnesses. Of course, to get to D'Anzio. I mean, like, everyone knows he was pretty much crime boss number one. (laughs) So So he thought that this would help help his case? Apparently. In the early aughts, reporter Keith Sharon, he tracked down Harry Barber, the getaway driver. Uh He took Barber out to dinner in exchange for details about the heist. I thought they just hit it off. No, but they did meet up at a Denny's in Diamond Bar, California. Wow. Good Uh, eggs, though. So Barber said it was Jimmy Hoffa who clued in Emil to the $30 million. Yeah, I figure it has to be an inside job. Yeah. So Barber says Hoffa told him about the campaign money that was being kept at the Laguna Niguel Mm -hmm. Bank, hidden there by Nixon. Uh, Keith Sharon, the, the journalist, said, quote, Nixon would meet with donors, and Nixon would say, if you can give me a million dollars, you can give me two million dollars. Nixon would take their extorted campaign contributions, and he would hide it somewhere, and one of those places was Laguna Niguel, California. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. He was from around there. Totally. No, it totally makes sense. So in 1971, there was the 1971 Federal Election Campaign Act. Mm -hmm. And before that, there wasn't a limit on, like, the methods that politicians could use to get Campaign contributions. Yeah. So this deadline's approaching on the new law, and then politicians were just, like, desperate to do a money grab. How mm-hmm. much can we get? Like a dry sponge. Nixon, head of the pack. Which, like, <laughs> Always. Duh, I'm course. telling you. Tricky dick. Yeah. And so one of his cash grabs was from the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, led by Jimmy Hoffa. I wonder what he was dangling before well, them. At the time, Hoffa was four years into a 13-year prison sentence for bribery and jury tampering. Mm-hmm. So Nixon made a deal. He's like, I'll give you a pardon. Of course, it's going to cost you. You got to give me three million in cash and the Teamsters endorsement because that's like a Democratic yeah, endorsement. They totally. weren't going to. Um, plus, Hoffa would be banned from all union activities for eight years. Hmm. So Hoffa gets out in '71 because his sentence is commuted by Nixon. He uses his mob connections to find out where Nixon is hiding the Teamsters' money. So he's like, "I'll give you three million. I'm about to steal it right back." He wanted revenge on Nixon because he lost his Teamsters president gig. Sure. So he gets in touch with Dincio to steal it back. According to Hoffa, most of the money that Nixon had, aside from his Teamsters money, Mm -hmm. was from extorting dairy farmers in exchange for raising the price of milk. 
Oh, wow. And this was infamously referred to as Nixon's milk money. Yeah. Yeah. So That's what that's, oh, wow. According to Barber, quote, Nixon was not one of our favorite people to begin with. <laughs> we were told that Nixon was hiding some money. Nixon wasn't even Nixon's favorite no. people to begin with. So we figured... He wouldn't cry to nobody. Who's he going to cry to? He yeah, stole it himself. Exactly. He can't call a cop. Exactly. So March 2003, Keith Sharon, he wrote an article for the Orange County Register called Bang for the Bucks. Good paper. Yeah, it is a good paper. In it, he he said that Dincio and his crew took the job to steal the $30 million in milk money. Mm-hmm. Emil said, quote, really? We were after two boxes to start with. President Nixon's boxes. So we got them first and got the money out of there and secured. It was real nice. Then but he doesn't it, want to talk about the others. But was it the 30 mil? Did they rob Nixon or not? I, they Apparently. It sounds like they did, but then the, but where did just, the money go? It gets, it gets vanished. <sighs> um, so back to 1972. In July, while he's incarcerated and awaiting trial, Dincio, mm-hmm. he gets chummy with a fellow burglar, Richard Arthur Gabriel. Okay. Gabriel, he would later testify that between July 25th and August 10th, he and Dincio had about 75 conversations during which Dincio gave Gabriel lessons on bank robbery. Sure. You know, it was a mentor-mentee situation. <laughs> exactly. And he Fell admitted— Fell in university. And he fully admitted his involvement in the, yeah, in the heist. I bet. And so Dincio told him that he picked that branch, quote, because there were a lot of rich and retired people in the area, and there was an obstacle near the bank, so you couldn't be seen. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's not telling him the Nixon sure. stuff. Uh, Dincio, he told Gabriel that he wasn't worried about Dawson as a witness because Dawson was, quote, blind in one eye and couldn't see very well out of the other. He can't identify me in court. (laughs) Well, see, and here's, um, well, actually, he's wrong. So not about being blind in one eye thing. He was. But Dawson was able to identify Dincio in court from 30 feet away. I was going to say, he's got one good eye. He's got one good eye. So Gabriel said, quote, he stopped me one day and asked if I knew anyone who owned or managed an apartment or motel. Mm -hmm. He said he wanted to be able to register so he could place himself there during the time of the burglary. And then Dincio also asked Gabriel if he, quote, knew a girl who could uh, get to say she was with him at the time. So he's just (laughs) alibi shopping. You know abroad. Hey, I just (laughs) need someone. So Dincio offers Gabriel $20,000 in negotiable bonds from Ah. the heist. By August 14th, Gabriel's free. He's he's out of jail working with the FBI. Mm-hmm. So Dincio, he was able to eventually bond out. His family put up everything they could as collateral. Um, and he kept in touch with Gabriel. They were pen pals. <laughs> They're buddies now. Yeah. He's like, I've told you everything that I shouldn't be telling. So yeah. now we're fat. One we're time friends. at prison camp. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so he reaches out to him like, hey, remember me? Gabriel's like, I will totally arrange for your alibi. I got you, boo. (laughs) So Dincio, um, he just, he's like on the edge of having this alibi. Gabriel's like, you just have to call this person and set up the details with them. I can't presume to know what you want to say. And so Dincio calls. That person was an FBI agent recording the entire (laughs) conversation. So if you're a criminal and somebody tells you you need to make a contract with a killer or someone for an alibi, it's going to be a federal agent every time. Yeah. So Gabriel also is told by Dincio that there's a plot to have Dawson murdered to keep him from testifying. I was wondering about that. I'm surprised there wasn't more. And Gabriel turns around. He's like, look, feds, I got even more information. This guy is just a conduit of information to the FBI. That gets used in court, that Uh little bit of information. So. Gabriel testified, and then the prosecution rested within an hour. And then the next day, on October 27th, at the very end of the day, the jury read their verdict. Yeah. Guilty on all charges of bank, 
burglary, conspiracy, and larceny. Yeah, they're like, we got. I'm going to hit the weekend. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> the stolen items still needed to be recovered, though. Sure. And it was rumored that they hid everything scattered across the country. But, I mean, mm. think about it. Dencio's like burying it in a thermos across the street if yeah. it wasn't for you. Um, <laughs> over the years, some of the items have been recovered, but the majority of it remains missing to this day. Really? Yeah. Like the $30 million of Nixon's money? Probably. Um, many of the bank holders just couldn't remember what they had in the boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And others never reported it. It's funny it. how that memory works for really rich right? people. They have the worst memories. So bad. Some, they couldn't even reach some of them. Yeah, like, like, hey, we need to talk about what was in your I box. don't remember how to answer a phone. Yeah. The heist, it inspired books, films, documentaries, mm-hmm. masterminds on Court TV. They did an episode about it and called Emil's crew, quote, the best bank burglary crew that the FBI has ever seen. Hmm. And they said that Emil had, quote, planned it for months, executed it to perfection, and stole millions from the ultra-secure vault. It was the most amazing bank burglary in history. It was the best show. I mean, we hear that a lot. We do. There's a lot of superlatives thrown around about bank robbers. Mm-hmm. Director Mark Stephen Johnson. Oh. Uh, he made a movie <laughs> about the heist titled Finding Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah, I've seen ads for that. Yeah, and he said, quote, it's an amazing story. It's one of those when I first read the script, I thought, that can't be true. I kept Googling it, thinking, how did I not know about this story? This gang of guys from Youngstown said, let's go to California and rip off the president of the U.S. They hated Nixon so much, they decided to go through with it, even though they knew the risks. It's this strangely perfect footnote in American history. I got to agree with him on that. Yeah, me too. And ripping off Nixon, how much fun would that (laughs) be? Well, and then he also said, quote, It's such a fascinating part of the world. It's amazing for them to come from this part of the world and aim so big. This is a movie about identity and people, and we really tried to capture the spirit of Youngstown. People from Youngstown are very proud of where they're from. It's a tough town. You've got to fight for what you've got. We had a screening in Youngstown, and people loved the movie. The only thing they were disappointed in is we didn't use real names. Oh, that's cool. So it was rumored that the crew... Uh, never ended up stealing Nixon's money and that they had actually hit the wrong bank. That's what I'm guessing is that yeah. they did not pull off the 30 mil heist. Right. Um, but here, because they're alive. Barber argues this. <laughs> Barber argues this quote, it was his. Part of it was his. Usually when somebody robs a bank, they send four or five FBI agents. This man sent 125. Yeah. So you know he was pissed. And then Barber said, quote, that still doesn't mean he was saying that's my money. No, it says I want to catch these guys who tried to get Dick Nixon. I don't think it was all in one bank. I think it's spread around. Exactly. I don't think $30 is sitting in one box. I think there's multiple millions in multiple banks. But in the 125 FBI agents suggest they got part of it. Mm -hmm. Definitely, I'm with that. Agreed. So, Zarin, what is your ridiculous takeaway? Oh, my God. Wouldn't it be amazing if they would have robbed the whole administration? Like, they got Nixon, they got Kissinger, they got Spiro Agnew. They just robbed them all. Yeah, it's like Taste of Medicine. Go big. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's my ridiculous takeaway. Shoot bigger next time. I agree. What's yours, Elizabeth? Uh, You see how I did that? So smooth. So easy. Natural. I don't know how you do it. That's because I'm interested. Oh, okay. Yeah. That helps. Curious. That very I much I care what helps. you say. <laughs> so, uh, my ridiculous <laughs> takeaway, yes. um, I really, I think it's clever to spread the stuff around if you're going to hide it. If they haven't recovered most of it, you know. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And Hoffa uh, is yeah. like, interesting, he hires this crew to be his guys to pull it off, and yet... They pull it off and then get busted in just the 
dumbest stuff. Yeah, well, they may not have had the best information to work with. Sure, I'll, but, I'll give them but that. But it was kind of dumb, the fingerprints on the plate. Yeah, I mean, like, they're supposed to be, like, the best of the best. Yeah. So this is like if Ocean's Eleven got caught because somebody sent a postcard. Well, I'd be inclined to just drive out there and not fly. Definitely no flying. Not and also not using rental cars. Don't you have anybody just who— Just buy little bum cars. Buy crappy cars yeah. for cash from towns that people don't care. Exactly. See, we're much better criminals We should go into else. crime together. We really We've learned so much. The... I know. I know. It's like a training <laughs> camp. Uh— Dave. Yo. Captain Dave, give me a talk back. Talk back. Oh my God, did he just say that? OMG. I love this show. Good job, guys. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's it for today. I always enjoy those. Yeah, I do. I love the talkbacks so much. I love to hear their beautiful voices. Uh, you can find us online at RidiculousCrime.com. We are also at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter and Instagram. You can email RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. And as we were just saying, leave a talkback on the iHeart app. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Dirty Dave Kustin. Research is by Teamster bosses Marissa Brown and Andrea Song Charpentier. Theme song is by Laguna Niguel, Gigolos, Thomas Lee, and Travis Dutton. Post Wardrobe is provided by Botany 500. Executive producers are Empty Safe Deposit Boxes, Ben Bolin and Noel Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.